you can't explain what you're investing in to a third grader or a fourth grader, if you can't <laughs> explain it to a child yeah. and help them to understand it, then you shouldn't be investing in it because you don't know what it truly is. You've got to get it so deep that you can articulate it to somebody else. Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration, so you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We are your hosts, Leo Sabo and David Thompson, and on this episode, we're starting a multi-part series on investing. On today's episode, we're going to talk about investing basics, and in future episodes, we're going to be going deeper into the topics of investing, such as risk tolerance, how the news influences your investing decisions, and how to make sure that you stay on your own personal investment path. Yeah, this is going to be a great series, Leo. It's something that I get asked about all the time, and I can't wait to share some of the things that we've got in these next uh, couple episodes. So, the first thing you need to understand is that there are four places to invest. You may be able to find a few others, but these are the main four in my mind. One is your personal education. Oh, yeah. You can invest in yourself. Uh, if you go and spend $1,000 to learn and study and grow in a new subject, a new area of expertise, you could potentially then earn $1,000 using those new skills. Mm-hmm. So immediately you've paid it back, you earn another thousand and you've doubled your investment. Mm. So, so this is somewhere that very quickly you can earn a big return on investment. Uh, Leo, we were talking about you, you, could, you could spend $1,000 to learn a new skill and potentially your employer would pay you an extra $1,000 a year and you do that for the next 10, 20 years, that's an extra 10, 20,000. Mm-hmm. Or you could get an extra $1,000 a month. Yes, you can. Depending on depending on what you learn, yep. depending on the skills the skill. you gain. So yep. uh, personal education is huge. The second place to invest is a personal business. And this is another place where you can invest $500 in buying some products and then sell them for 1000 and you can double your money really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, could, you could go and buy a new uh, piece of equipment. You could start to do some more marketing with your business. You could invest more into the business. And if you're good at business, you can very quickly double and triple your money. Uh, so that's another great place to look at investing. The third place is other people's businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, you could have your own small business or there's people out there that have really large companies that they're looking for more money so they can grow their business faster and they'll let you buy stock. And so we're going to spend a lot of time in today's episode on investing basics, talking about companies and stocks and what that means. And then the fourth place that you can invest is in property. And I'm talking about real estate. You could actually go out and uh, buy a home, a multifamily home. You could look at different ways to invest in real estate and property. Now, sure, there's other ways to invest in this world, uh, but these are the four main ways that we're going to talk about. And I think that before we dig into any one of these, you've got to understand that the foundational principle of investing is that you should never invest in something that you don't understand. Uh, You have to educate yourself before you invest in something. So true. And you have to understand enough to feel confident in the investment choices you're making. And it's really not about becoming an expert. It is, however, about knowing and having the knowledge that you need to have in order to make good investment decisions. Too many people invest in things they don't understand only to lose their shirt in the process. (laughs) And, And it's crazy because 
but you'll hear something on the news, which we'll talk about in future episodes, but you'll hear something on the news or you'll hear from a friend and they're like, oh yeah, I started investing in this thing. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I want to invest in that. When really you based it on a 30 second conversation with no extra research, no knowledge. If you can't explain what you're investing in to a third grader or a fourth grader, if you can't (laughs) explain it to a child and help them to understand it, then you shouldn't be investing in it because you don't know what it truly is. You've got to get it so deep that you can articulate it to somebody else. Uh, So make sure you understand. And then the next thing is that make sure that you don't put all of your investments in one place. Right. So we talked about four places to invest. Yes, you should invest in your personal education. But if you spend 20 years growing in your education and you never put money into a personal business or into (laughs) property or into somebody else's business through stocks, what happens if something happens to you physically Mm. and you're unable to work or unable to use that education or the, the job market changes and you can't use some of those skills? If you put all your money into your business and then something goes wrong and you get sued and you don't have any money anywhere else... That's a problem. So even when we talk about stocks and bonds and mutual funds, you have to diversify. Spread your money around. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah, because when you do that, what you're doing is you're creating a lot of risk because that one entity, that one investment, if it goes under, then your investment are gone and you have to start all over again or potentially from a negative uh, equity. So by having your investment in different places, you're minimizing that risk. Uh, because although some of your investments might be losing money in one season or another, others will more than likely make money. So if you're invested in multiple things, not every one of them will make money all the time, but together they'll all be making some money and some growth and you'll see a consistent growth over time. Yeah, that's exactly it. Okay, so we are talking about investing basics. So we're going to take you to the very fundamental basic side of investing in somebody else's company. And that would be called stocks. And so we're going to introduce you to stocks and bonds. And then we're going to talk a little bit about property and what it would look like to start with some investing there. And so when we say the word stocks, what comes to your mind? <laughs> like, what do you think of when I say, hey, you should invest in stocks or in public equities? Uh, wh- wh- what does that mean? Or private equities? Where should I go? What does that mean? Well, let's give you a basic example of what it means to start a company and then invest in that company and then potentially open that investment up to somebody else where they could buy stock. So let's imagine that I wanted to start a company and it's a lawn care company Mm -hmm. and I'm going to go out and mow people's yards and I'm going to edge and trim. Well, I'm going to have to invest personally in buying some equipment, a Mm -hmm. lawn mower, a trimmer, an edger, uh, maybe some weed and feed, um, a trailer. So let's say I buy $5,000 worth of equipment and then a $4,000 trailer. And Mm -hmm. then I go out and print $1,000 worth of flyers and business cards, or I hire somebody to go door to door. So 5,000 plus 4,000 plus 1,000. I personally have invested $10,000 up front. But over the next year, I go mow a bunch of lawns Mm -hmm. or I hire somebody else to mow a bunch of lawns and I end up making $40,000 of profit. Mm. Okay, $40,000 of profit is not bad. I can take that home, pay taxes on it, and I can feed my family. I'm doing all right. Now, Leo comes over and he says, David, I see you doing this lawn care thing. And and I see that, you know, you've subbed out the work. So you're sitting at home sipping lemonade while, you know, all (laughs) these people are, are going and mowing lawns for your company. That's awesome. 
how can I get in on that? Mm -hmm. And so I say, well, you know, I invested 10,000 up front. So Leo, if you give me $10,000, I'll give you half of the company and I'll go invest all that 10,000 in new equipment, new mm -hmm. trailers, new, new marketing. And so we'll have this company that hopefully goes from $40,000 of profit one year to potentially 80,000. Right. Cause doing we, twice the work, doing you have twice, twice the, the equipment, exactly. maybe twice the people. Yep. So, so Leo, when he bought into the company for $10,000, he bought into a company that made 40,000 a year, mm -hmm. but a year later, the company's making $80,000 a year. Uh, let's imagine that a year later, it's making $160,000 a year, just because we've learned, we've used some of that profit. We know how to grow the company. More contracts. More contracts. Yep. And so now let's say that Leo wants to sell his half of the company. Well, it went from a company that made 40 grand a year to a company making 160,000 a year. Mm -hmm. If somebody wants to buy his ownership, buy that stock. Right. And when we say stock, what it would be is if Leo and I came to an agreement, uh, we would basically write on a piece of paper, Leo owns 50% of the company, I own 50%, and we right. could give him a piece of paper that represents 50% of the company, and I could have a piece of paper that represents 50% of the company. Mm -hmm. And if he wants to sell that paper to somebody, potentially he bought in for 10000 but he could sell it for 40000 because the company has grown four times bigger. Mm -hmm. Well, it, that means that he's quadrupled his money. It's 80000 yeah. Because it's 50% uh, yeah. of 160, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Is my mind correct? Yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. Leo's like, hey, give me all my money. <laughs> <laughs> Don't cheat me. I don't want Don't a quarter. I want half. That's right. That's right. So, <laughs> so however this looks out in this scenario, he could very quickly grow his money because he invested it. And what he did is he owned stock. And as the value of a company goes up, the stock in that company goes up as well. Mm -hmm. Leo bought in for 10 and his stock was worth 10,000, right. but the company grew and now his company, now his stock is worth more. Yep. So when we say invest in stocks and bonds and, and mutual funds, it starts with a stock. It starts with a little piece of ownership in a mm -hmm. company. Yeah. Now all of that sounds really good. And that's always the hope of someone starting a company that everything's going to continue to grow and the investments and the profits going to continue to grow, and and that many times happens, but not always. So there are some risks to having a single company stock. When you're investing in just this in this lawn care business, if something happens, then all your investment, all my investment, is gone. If something happens yep. to this company, yep. so some of the things that can happen is, for instance, the company may fail, and the stock becomes worthless. Yeah, right? that's a problem. It's a <laughs> you, big problem. You invested 10000 and then all of a sudden... It's gone. It's gone. Now my money's gone. Uh, another one is that new competition comes in. You know, there's other people that are starting lawn care businesses around the same area that I'm servicing. And all of a sudden, I'm having to work really hard just to get a couple of contracts just to pay my workers and to keep the equipment running. So yeah. again, no profit being made, potentially even losing some. And then there could be government imposed new licenses or or things that the lawn care business now has to abide by yeah. that would add cost, whether it's training for certain people, certification for them being in certain areas, whatever those laws or those requirements are, as they add cost to the business, then the profit could go down. And eventually it could hurt the company yeah. to the point where it goes under. You don't have any control over what the government does, or you do have, you can vote. Yeah. But let's say the government enacts a new law. Yeah. That can hurt your business. Short and term, it, there's not much you can do. Exactly. And you're just trying to survive. Yeah. Another one could be a hurricane comes through and all the lawns are underwater for a month. Um, <laughs> you can't afford to keep the business going that way because there's yeah. nobody uh, cutting lawns at that point. Right. And 
I could also do something dishonest. Oh, yeah. Right? And now the company fails because of legal problems. Right, right. So there are many ways that when you invest in one company or buy the stock from one company alone, that's what we talked about earlier about putting your eggs in one basket, is that it creates this risk that when things go wrong, and hopefully they won't, but why take that risk? Right. Because if it does happen, now you're completely under. Yeah. So you want to understand what you're investing in. You want to diversify. And one of the greatest ways to diversify when you're looking at stocks and buying into companies that somebody else owns uh, is you look at what's called a mutual fund. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's break that word down and then I'll explain it. So the mutual fund, well, it is mutually funded mm -hmm. by many people. So right. imagine 10 people in a room. If I were to fund something, then it'd just be, oh, David funded all of that. But let's say that instead of David putting all his money into some new company, it's David along with the 10 people in the room. Mm -hmm. So Leo puts in some, I put in some, Ashley puts in some, Natalie puts in some. And now together we have mutually funded this right. investment. Right. So that's what a mutual fund is. It's when a large number of people put all their money together into one fund. And then that fund, that pool of money goes out and buys hundreds of companies, hundreds of stocks. Mm -hmm. And they buy a little piece of these hundreds of companies. And so now they're very well diversified. Uh, so there are mutual funds and you can just Google, you know, buy mutual funds on, on Google and you could look at any of the major brokerages and they'll have large cap mutual funds and cap just stands for capitalization. It's the size of the company or the type of company. So large cap mutual funds would be funds that invest in companies that are over $10 billion in size. Uh, that's like Walmart and General Electric and Apple and Amazon mm -hmm. and Microsoft. These are huge, huge companies. So if you invest in a mutual fund that is a large cap mutual fund, then it is potentially buying 100, 200, 300 of these huge companies and you get a little piece of each one of those companies. Right. So if one company goes up, great. If another company is going down, it'll usually balance out. And over time, if you look at the track record, you can usually have a good increase in your money over time. So there's large cap mutual funds, there are mid cap mutual funds, and then there's small cap mutual funds. And a small cap would be $300 million in value up to $2 billion in value. Uh, I mean, these are companies that you've probably still heard of that are doing well, like a Chipotle type of thing would be in a small cap space. Mm -hmm. It's a large company, but compared to Amazon and Microsoft Apple. and Apple, it's small. And so these are companies that are still growing pretty quickly because they are smaller in size. So they're going to grow new locations. They're going to grow new product lines. And so usually the small cap companies grow faster. But when the economy has an issue or when new government regulations come in, they also drop faster because mm -hmm. they're not ready to take on something unexpected when new competition right. comes in. So the small caps go up and down a little bit more often. And then there are international mutual funds and these international mutual funds invest in stocks that are outside of the U.S. Right. Uh, usually if you're here in the U.S. investing and you see small cap, mid cap, large cap, you're looking at U.S based equities. Equities being another term for stocks. Uh, you're looking at US-based stocks. 
And if you click on the international mutual fund, now you're getting exposure to the whole world. So just be aware, these are four different places that you can look when you're going towards a mutual fund. Now, Leo, what's the most important thing that somebody can do when they're beginning to invest? What's kind of the timeline or the horizon they should be mm -hmm. looking at? Great question. Well, whenever you're investing in these type of companies, especially if you're looking at mutual funds, you really are, what you're doing is you're buying into these companies' uh, well-being for the long haul. You're not buying, and then five minutes later, you're selling when stock goes up. The idea is that you're buying the health of these companies, and you're betting on these companies being around for a long time. So it's a long-term horizon. And when you're investing in mutual funds that are well-diversified across a number of stocks, this is a great place for long-term investing. Uh, the stock market itself has returned an average of 11.3% from 1928 through 2010. This is according to Investopedia. But over the long term, stocks do better than bonds. Since 1926, large stocks have returned an average of 9.8% per year. And long-term government bonds have returned between 5 and 6%. So stocks are a better bet long-term. Yeah, and I love that because th these are outside sources like Ibbotson and Associates that go through and pull through the data. Yeah. And so you're looking here at somewhere between 9.8% to 11.3%, mm -hmm. uh, depending on the firm and which... Uh, which group of stocks you look at. A lot of times people are looking at index funds or a total market to look at the whole market and how it's done over the past hundred years. Right. But what we're looking at here is that stocks typically do well over a long period of time here in the United States because mm -hmm. as we grow as a country, our businesses grow, uh, we, you know, new products are developed. And if you're investing in the top companies, usually they're staying in business and growing as the country grows. Mm -hmm. Now, some are going to fall apart. Some are going to fail and disappear. That happens. Yep. But there, if you're if you're well diversified, then you're looking at multiple companies. If you're in 500 companies and and five of them go bankrupt, but the other 495 go up slowly over time, yeah. you're doing all right. Yep. Now, we know that past performance is not a guarantee of future performance. So just because they've earned 10% or so in the last 100 years, doesn't mean that in the next hundred years it's going to do the exact same thing, but when you if you feel confident about where the country's going, how companies are doing, and you look at the track record, for me I feel very comfortable mm -hmm. with the risk level of investing in these types of companies, in these types of stocks, because there's a wide diversification. So personally, I have most of my long-term savings invested across a Roth IRA, which is a, it's a vehicle, it's an account that you can then use to go and buy these types of funds. So a Roth IRA, a traditional IRA, and my Roth 403B. What I will do is I will use these accounts to go buy mutual funds and exchange traded funds, which act very much like mutual funds. And I feel very comfortable with a wide diversification of 300 stocks, 500 stocks, 100 mm. plus stocks yep. across a couple of these different categories. Uh, if the stock market has averaged, you know, somewhere between nine to 11 percent, according to Investopedia and Ibbotson, uh, then I would wonder and I think a lot of people would ask, is it possible at that type of rate for the average American to one day become a millionaire? And, and I think a million dollars is it's not a finite or not a specific goal that everybody's aiming for, but it's a big number that mm -hmm. everybody looks at as like, 
kind of a mile marker that people pursue. Mm-hmm. And so it's not the end all be all, but could, could the average American get there? And Leo, you and I ran the numbers yep. and we said, okay, what if you put $600 a month into a fund that earns 8%? Now that's dramatically lower than 10%. Yep. That 2% makes a huge difference. Yes, it does. So we're being conservative and you invested from age 30 to age 70. Mm-hmm. So that's assuming that you didn't invest anything in your 20s. So you're starting at age 30. Mm. You would have $2,109,000. So you'd yep. have over $2 million if you invested 600 bucks a month mm-hmm. from age 30 to age 70, earning just 8% a year. And that number goes up if you earn 9, 10, 11%. It goes or up if you start sooner. Or if you start sooner. And you invest for a longer period so, of time. So yes, you can accumulate wealth in this country. Uh, we're actually very blessed to be in a place where the companies have, for the most part, a lot of advantages economically. Mm-hmm. They can be publicly traded. We have mostly a free market. The government does put regulations and taxes and some things on that slow down the economy. But at the same time, there's some good regulation that helps moderate and keep the economy moving forward. So it's a balance. You could go all day talking in that conversation. (laughs) But but what is it, Leo, behind this that's really allowing that to accumulate so quickly when you're getting 10% interest? Yeah. Well, it's compound interest. It's one of the, what, eighth wonder of the world? Yeah. When you make an investment, hopefully you earn interest on the money. That's the idea of investing is you want to put some money in that's going to earn money from your initial investment. So let's say that's 10% interest. Uh, that means that if you put in $10,000, then the next year you'll have 10000 plus the $1,000, which is 10% earned on that 10000 So you'll have $11,000 in your account because you've invested. So as long as you leave all that money in there, then the next year, you'll have 11,000 in the account and the 10% interest you'll gain, which is 1,100. That's an extra $100 just from the interest on the interest you earned in the first year. And if you allow that to continue to accumulate over time, never taking the money out, but just allowing that interest to add more interest, and then of course your principal's always there earning money as well, then that compound interest over time is what gets you from Six hundred dollars a month from thirty to seventy to have over two million dollars in the bank. Yeah, that is it's incredible. pretty amazing. The interest grows on itself, and so eventually you're earning money that you never even had to invest. I right. mean, like like you've you've invested a thousand, but then that thousand started inv- you know grow on itself, which grew mm-hmm. on itself, which mm-hmm. grew on itself, and over time, uh, you're actually earning more than you ever physically put in, and it takes quite a few years to do that. We've done some several episodes on this. But it's really cool to see when that compound kicks in and you're really moving fast. It's yeah. fun. What's great about investing this way is that you can do this while you're also just living your life. Yeah. You're not having to do anything other than making sure that you are consistently putting into this fund, whether it's $600 a month or 500 whatever you can do. But as you do that consistently, you don't have to be an expert in any of these companies. Yeah. All you have to do is make sure that you're diversify, that you're buying into mutual funds, that whether it's the large cap, mid cap, small cap, international, that you have this mix of mutual funds that spreads that risk. And really, you're betting on the whole market. That over time, just as it did over the last 100 years or so, the market will continue to do well. Yeah. So we've talked about stocks and we've talked about mutual funds. I want to introduce you to another type of mutual fund. And this is called an index fund. Now, index funds are 
mutual funds and that they are mutually funded by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But that pool of money that's just sitting there now that's been mutually funded by a bunch of people, it buys companies off of a list. And the word index means list. So it is a list fund. It goes and a computer will purchase all the companies on the list. So you have something like the S&P 500. The S&P 500 is a list that's put together by Standard and Poor's, and it is 500 plus companies, well, 500, 500 companies in the United States, and they're 500 of the largest companies, not the 500 largest, but 500 very large companies. And it, the computer looks at the list of the 500, and then it buys based on the size and the, the size of the company and the amount that you're investing. And so when you invest in this, it's so easy because you've just invested in 500 companies. Hmm. It's being purchased off of a list by a computer, which usually means it's very cheap to do this because you're not paying somebody to go find 500 companies that they like, that they want to invest in. Mm-hmm. You're just saying, I believe in the top 500 companies in the U.S. I believe they're going to continue doing well over the next 10, 20, 30 years. So I'm going to put my money into these 500 companies. And and think of, you know, some of the large companies. Uh, the top five would be Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, uh, Berkshire Hathaway, which is Warren Buffett's company. Uh, this is called passive investing because you're not hiring a manager to actively manage the mutual fund, mm-hmm. which most mutual funds are actively managed, right. which means that you take that pool of money and you use some of it to hire somebody to do all the research and to look into companies, and they create a list of large cap companies or a list of small cap companies. Mm-hmm. Instead here, you're just saying, I'm going to trust this list of 500 of the largest com- companies here in the U.S., and I'm going to purchase off that list, and a computer does it, so it's usually very inexpensive. Um, I think it's interesting when you talk about index funds versus uh, actively managed funds. Warren Buffett, this is something that he talks about uh, when he began to put together his will and his estate plan. And so I'm going to read you an actual quote from something that he wrote. He says, My advice to the trustee couldn't be more simple. This is his advice to the person that will be managing all of his money when he dies one day. Mm. He says, put 10% of the money into short-term government bonds, 10%. The other 90% into a very low-cost S&P 500 index fund. (laughs) And then he said in parentheses, "I, I suggest Vanguard's because Vanguard is known for having very low fees. And then continuing the quote, he says, I believe the trust's long-term results, in other words, the money's long-term results from following this guideline of 10% and 90% will be superior to those attained by most investors, uh, whether by pension funds, institutions, individuals who employ high-fee managers. Okay, so what is Warren Buffett saying here? He's saying that one day when he dies, the person that he's entrusting to manage his money, the trustee, mm-hmm. should put 10% into government bonds and 90% into the S&P 500, or, or, you know, very low cost index funds. That's incredible because he's basically saying that although his whole career was based on his ability to choose the best companies and invest actively in the best companies, mm-hmm. he's saying that he personally can't figure out who the next person is going to be that's going to invest as well as he did. Yeah. And so he's like, hey, if I could figure out who that person is, then I would invest with them. 
But since I can't figure out the person that's going to invest the best, I'm going to base it off of this list. Yeah, I'm going to take the second best option, yes. which yes. is index funds. Yeah, and so um, I, I think it, later on in the next episode, we'll actually dig into a big bet that Warren Buffett made over a million dollars with a hedge fund on what's better uh, over a 10-year time horizon, the S&P 500 or an actively managed fund. But we'll talk about that in the next episode. So when you go to look for investments, here's the four basic things that you want to look for in the stock market world. And this is, you know, we're talking about stocks, we're talking about personal education, here. We're not talking about property and real estate yet. Mm -hmm. This is just in stocks. Uh, one, you want to look at a mutual fund because it's well diversified that has a 10 year track record or more. Right. So that could also be the S&P 500 because it's been around for more than 10 years. Yes. It's got a long track record and it's mutually funded. It's well diversified. But whatever, whatever you're looking at, if it's only been around for one year, you probably want to wait until it's proven itself for 10 years, mm -hmm. 15 years, 20 years. The second thing you want to look for is has it averaged somewhere between 9 to 11% or mm -hmm. more since it was created? And like I said, it's got to have been around for more than 10 years. Right. If something has averaged 9 or more percentage points over the past 50 years, 20 years, 30 years, I feel pretty comfortable. Right. Again, the past performance doesn't guarantee the future, but at least it gives you a track record to look at. The third thing you're going to want to see is that it has minimal fees. Now, when you look at a mutual fund, a normal mutual fund cost would be about 1%. That's kind of industry standard. That means for every $10,000 that you put in, you pay $100 a year to a manager to manage that fund. Right. 1% uh, of everything you have in there. Now, I think that when you get up to 1.25%, that's very high in yeah, my mind because there's agree. so many other options that are so much cheaper. If you get 0.5 to 0.75 of a percent, like half of a percent, that's medium. It's it's not it's not high, but it's also not low. If you can get to 0.25 or lower, <laughs> then that is a very inexpensive low cost mutual fund. And for example, um, if the average is 1% and then you looked over at this S&P 500 index fund and you did it at Vanguard, which Warren Buffett, he's like, I suggest Vanguard potentially. Mm. Theirs is like 0 0.05 of mm. a percent. Yeah. So that's $5 for every 10,000 10, that you <laughs> invest <laughs> versus $100 for every 10,000 you invest. So uh, be looking at the fees and make sure that your expense ratio, that's the term for the fees, your expense ratio is low. Uh, and then fourth, make sure that you're educated and not just sold. Mm. Uh, most people that work in this industry, unfortunately, and not everybody, thankfully not everybody, but most people are taught how to sell products not necessarily how to educate the consumer. So if you're going to go through and buy an investment, make sure that they are educating you and you feel like you're learning from them. You're not being sold by your advisor. Mm -hmm. So 10 year track record or more averaging nine plus percent over its track record, low fees, you know, somewhere like 0 0.25, 0 0.5, anything above that would be hard for me personally to jump into. Not impossible, but it'd be hard. And then don't get sold, get educated. Well, that was great, David. So we touched on three of the four places to invest. One, personal education. Two, personal business. And then the other people's business, meaning stocks, company stocks. And now we want to talk about property or real estate investing. Now, you may ask, why invest in real estate? Well, first and foremost is because real estate is less 
volatile. The value of real estate grows slowly over time in most seasons. So that's something that you can bet on, but it's something that's not going to jump up or down like a stock yeah. would. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're looking at stocks, they can cut in, well, I'm not saying cut in half, they can cut in half, but you know, it's it's more likely that you'll see it go down 10% or 15% yep. or 20%. But if you're holding $100,000 of a stock and it goes down 20%, mm -hmm. you just lost $20,000. Yeah. That's scary. It's Whereas scary. with real estate, it's very rare that real estate would lose 20%. Right. It's not impossible, but it's very rare. And even when it does, when there's a correction, it still slowly over time comes back up. Yeah. So it it just it's, it's less volatile than stock. Uh, plus, it's part of that diversification that we want of not putting everything in one place. So it's having the ability to have your investments spread over multiple areas. Yes. And real estate is a good place to do that. It also gives you more control than stocks or bonds uh, because you have less risk that you're taking. When you're buying a piece of property, you have many things that you can do to ensure that that property is a good investment. You can get it inspected. You get it insured. There's just so many things that prevents you from losing the value of that property. And there's a lot of benefits as well. So, But most importantly is that it, you do have more control. With yeah. stocks and bonds, you really don't. You don't right. know how a company's going to do it. You don't know how the economy is going to do Right. There are different things that affect these prices in stocks and bonds that you have no control over. Yeah, there's still risk with investment property but you get to manage it, mm -hmm. which allows you to make choices that will help it to grow faster. Uh, and so you get to manage that process. That control is a major component because I'm not going to get to control Walmart's decision making <laughs> and how they do, right. how they manage their company. One of the other things is that with real estate, there are multiple tax benefits, something that you don't get from stocks and bonds. Uh, you actually have the ability to write off Certain expenses, property taxes, you get to write off. You also get to write off uh, depreciation of properties. So there are tax advantages to having uh, and holding real estate. Now, there are types of real estate investing, and here's some of the options. One is a single-family home. You can buy a single-family home and rent it to a family. And usually that's a great bet because people tend to stay in these homes much longer. And the longer you can keep a tenant in, the less uh, turnover you have in that property, the more money you'll make. There's also the duplex or the multifamily, and this is two or more units, and it can, again, be two or more, as much as 50, 100. Uh, but this is what we call multifamily real estate investing. And then there's a fix and flip or buy and flip, however you want to say that. It's basically, <laughs> it's buying a piece of property that you don't want to hold. What yeah. you want to do is you know it's undervalued because it needs some updating, it needs some uh, maintenance, it needs some... Um, TLC, so to speak. And when you get in there, spending a little bit of money and you bring the value of that property higher and then you sell it. So you can make 10, 20, 30, $50,000 just by holding the property for 30 to 60 days while you're doing all the remodeling and then you sell it at a profit. So that's another way to do real estate investing. Yeah, you've probably never heard of this whole fixer-upper thing. It's probably the first time you've ever heard <laughs> of that. Everywhere. I mean, no, this is Chip and Joanna Gaines. This is awesome. Yep. This is like, you see this on TV. You see people that go in and they put sweat equity in. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. buy the home $20,000 or $100,000 cheaper than what they can turn it into, and they, they go to work. They sand it, they, they paint it, they, they fix up the kitchen appliances. Yep. The fixer-upper, like, go chase that down. Yep. You can invest in that way. Way, and you can make money there. Yep, no doubt. Now, there are other types of real estate investing, and just a few I'll mention here. One is commercial. You can have office or retail space that you could rent out. You can do wholesaling, and that's basically being the deal maker by finding a buyer and connecting that buyer with the seller and then getting a fee for that. 
You can also have mobile home parks. You can buy a, a piece of land, uh, develop it so that it's zoned for uh, mobile homes. And this is a basically renting lots. Yeah. And with a mobile home, even though it's mobile, most people don't move it. Yeah, I know. So you're going to have a tenant for potentially 10, 15 years. So there's a lot of uh, profit margin in something like that. And because it's also low cost, there's very little maintenance that you need to do. Um, They're not your homes. They're their homes. They just happen to rent your space, which is a great way to invest as well. For me, Leo, long term, I think it would be really cool to open up. uh, Maybe it's a mobile home park or maybe it's a tiny home park or a small home park, but a place where people who are just trying to get their finances right Mm, could move in with very (laughs) low rent. And and you can do this to invest. And there are people who do mobile home parks that make a lot of money because they really try to squeeze every dollar out of it. And and ethically, business-wise, you can do that. But I think as I've accumulated some margin in my life and as I grow my wealth, I would love to invest in something like this as an act of generosity to help people that are on their journey get into low-cost housing help them learn how to manage. And then and then when they move out, they can go buy a nicer, bigger home. But, but just think about, it, even as we're talking about investing, some of this investing is financial, fully driven by how do I make the most. Some of this is when you're renting a home to somebody, hmm. you're putting a roof over somebody's head. Yeah. I mean that's it's cool. more than just a financial it's transaction. It's more than if just you a financial transaction, right? That way. And, and yeah, and this is you know business mindset versus heart mindset. But we want to encourage you. You know, we want you to be free to pursue your true life's purpose. Right. And we know that every single person, part of their true life's purpose is to serve other people. That is what is going to make you fulfilled in life. And if you go into real estate investing and you become an expert, not only can you make money, but you can also find a way to serve people in that. So I just wanted to drop that in there because part of this is something that I, I can see myself doing over time as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a great way to look at it. Now, just a few things about the benefits of real estate investing. One is equity. The value of your property will increase over time. This is just kind of a known thing. Yes, there are market corrections. Yes, the market can go down. But overall, housing has been a great bet uh, because it's such a big part of our economy. You can also, as I said earlier, you can write off depreciation. You can pay less in taxes, and that means more income, more cash flow to you if you're the landlord. Uh, You also have returns uh, that are usually higher than investing in the market because uh, it's just you have more control. So you can usually real estate investing, if you buy and hold and, and rent uh, your space, it's somewhere between 12 and 15%, pretty consistent. Yeah, It's absolutely. very rarely under 10% if you do it right. If again, you're right, if you know how you, to manage it. And you get to do all of that ahead of time. You get to assess, is this property uh, going to make money? How much money is it going to make? What's the return on my investment? So that's why it's a, usually a, a much better return but it also requires some of your work. You're it's right. not like the stock market or buying stock in a company. You actually have to do some work. You have to yeah. go collect rents. You have to deal with you know, some issues, call out a maintenance guy, uh, or maybe even do it yourself. So there are right. some sweat equity that goes into it as well. And then the last thing I want to touch on is real estate associated costs and requirements are these. One, you have to have about 20 to 25% to put down in order to buy an investment property. So you need a little bit more cash to, to get started with this. Uh, the loan payment is going to be your principal and interest, your insurance. You're going to have to cover that as well. And you would have to, of course, find out how much insurance is for that. Um, find out how much your taxes are. So you look at the loan payment, your insurance, your taxes, and your maintenance to figure out what your costs are, plus, of course, your down payment. And that's how you can really walk through financially and figure this out 
before you actually buy this property. So there's, um, I won't say no risk, but there's very low risk if you do this the right way. Yeah, you do the so research. You don't invest you in something you do don't understand. You, you take the time to learn mm -hmm. this. And if you take the time to learn it, you put the time and energy in, you can make 15% a year. Mm -hmm. I've, I know people that have consistently for the past 15, 20 years have earned 20% a yep. year, yep. which is massive. 20% mm -hmm. a year doubles your money every, yeah. every three and a half, like a little over three years. Yeah. If you doubled your money every three and a half years, Oh my goodness. Yeah. So you go from having 50,000 to 100,000 to 200,000 to 400,000 to 800,000 to 1.6 million. If you can do that in less than 20 years, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a much so faster is, way to yes. uh, significant wealth. Yes. So but it takes the time and energy and the research. So we're we're just highlighting these to you. Uh, I would recommend that well we're always going to recommend that you diversify. Yes. You invest in yourself some. You invest in your personal business. Maybe your personal business is buying real estate. Maybe your personal business is selling some kind of product online. Mm -hmm. But you begin to do a personal business. You look at stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. The mutual fund builds in diversification across several hundred companies. And then once you've started to get those things lined up, if you get a passion for real estate, then go chase down real estate because it takes a little bit more down, mm -hmm. 20 to 25% down on a property. Right. You're going to have to deal with insurance and taxes and maintenance. But if you have a little bit of margin in your finances, this is a great way to build wealth over mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. So this is the intro. This is the basics of investing. Look at these four things. Make sure you're diversifying. Make sure you understand what you're investing in. And then dig into the numbers. All right. We love that you joined us for this episode. We can't wait to share the things we've got coming in the next part of the series. Uh, this is such a fun topic. So if you're enjoying it, please go and review and subscribe to the channel. Rate us. If you're on iTunes, please send us a five star. I think that we have 130 something five stars now. Our goal is 150 mm -hmm. uh, by the end of the year. So please help us with that. Uh, please go and share this episode with somebody. Yes. Uh, investing is something that everybody wants to learn about. Everybody still feels a little hazy about it. Like they're like, oh, I know I'm in, I know I'm invested in my 401k at my company and I know I'm in a mutual fund, but I don't know what that means. Right. Give them this episode. Most mm -hmm. people don't even know what a mutual fund is. They don't fully understand stocks and bonds. Right. Give them this episode, help them to understand, share this with them as a resource. Uh, I've got a bunch of people out there now that have started to share this. Uh, I've seen several people sharing it on Facebook, on Instagram, and it, it just feels amazing to see the word going out and helping people. Yeah. So thank you for sharing. Uh, find us online. You know, add us as friends on Facebook or on Instagram. Follow us there. Uh, if you have questions about financial topics, then do a quick voice memo on your phone record it and send it in. Yep. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to answer your question. Go to leosabo.com uh, on his website, just Leo Sabo. If you go to leosabo.com, you'll find resources, tools, new and helpful content. Uh, there's so much that he's doing right now to help people in personal finances. I love that website and I, I, can't, I can't recommend it enough. Jump on there and download the tools. Uh, come over and visit stewardshippastors.com. That's the project that I've been working on. Uh, uh, helping people understand
understand how to handle money from a biblical perspective. I'm currently finishing and working on this book, Jesus on Money. And Jesus on Money is going to just say, what does Jesus talk about when he talks about money? And there's over 800 verses that goes into this. And so there's just so much there that I can't wait to share it with you as you get a chance to check out that book and check out stewardshippastors.com. We love spending time with you. I hope that you'll enjoy the articles, the videos, the resources that we're putting out, and that you'll share this episode with somebody. And we look forward to having you join us next time so that together we we can can keep keep getting money right. If you allow that to continue to accumulate over time, never taking the money out, but just allowing that interest to add more interest, and then, of course, your principal is always there earning money as well, then that compound interest over time is what gets you from $600 a month from 30 to 70 to have over $2 million in the bank.